0: four um, key terms. We talk about love, grow, serve, and go. These four pictures that make up our logo. And these, we believe, are the, the four key marks of, of Christian maturity. And if you're a regular here, hopefully it'll be helpful to you to hear a bit more detail and get a bit more understanding of one of the key things we're about. But if you're a visitor, please don't switch off. Because these things are significant for everyone who claims to follow Christ. And whether you're here investigating tonight or whether you're here from from another church with us, um, it could be helpful to you as well to think about what it means to grow in maturity as a disciple. So uh, we've been working through these different steps. Getting closer and closer to the end tonight brings us to the conclusion of our series. We're going to talk about what it means to serve Christ's church. And getting clear on this one, I think, will be worth our time together. It's probably, I think, one of the less well-understood things that we talk about. We've got to start with the question of why we should serve at it all. I mean, it's foundations, really. If you don't build on solid foundations, then in whatever you're building is not going to do that well, right? The Leaning Tower of Pisa. Built on a little bit too much sand, now inclined. A lovely tourist attraction, but not what they were hoping for when they started. So we want to lay some foundations as we begin. Why is it, why is it that we should think about serving Christ's church? What do we build that on? You might think it's a, it's a no-brainer as to why we should serve at all, but let's check it out. So I want you to come with me um, in Bibles. And if you've got one of these church Bibles, um, that'll be really helpful to you. If you're a visitor and you don't have one with you, please don't be embarrassed. But if you wave your hand, um, then the team at the back can get you one. We're gonna read from one John chapter four. And if you're with me in one of these church Bibles, that's page twelve twenty-seven. One John chapter four. And that's page twelve twenty-seven, nearly at the back. One of those slightly difficult places to find because the page is always open before or after it. One John chapter four. Gonna begin at verse seven here. But let me pray as we come to God's Word. Father God, as we come to you tonight to learn some more of what it is and what it should be for us to be your followers, please would you speak to us. Would you speak to us clearly as we read from your Word? Might your Word strike home. Amen. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. That's where we're going to stop for now. Why is it that we should serve Christ's church? Well... The foundation that we build this on is on the way God first loved and served us. Sending his son, like it said there, as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Actually, if you looked in this same letter, just a few verses earlier, John writes in 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. In the first place, this is how we know Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And then he goes on to draw a conclusion from that. And we to lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters. God gives us in Jesus the fuel for how we should behave back to each other. When we think and talk about serving Christ church, like we're going to do tonight, we have to do this in response to how God has loved us. This is not a, a first step. This is a second step. This is very much a response. Now, you might be thinking this passage is all about love. The word we're using here is love, and yet the phrase from our church vision is serve Christ's church. Am I stretching things a bit by picking this passage that talks all about love? Aren't we really in this passage hearing about what's essentially an emotion? Aren't we hearing about a, a, a feeling, a tenderness towards one another that we should have? You might be thinking the main point of all this love talk is in fact that we should be sitting down around a cozy table with one another, with a candle in the middle, perhaps some light music in the background, staring meaningfully into each other's eyes and exchanging some hushed words. Is, is that what it means to love one another? Some of you are quite excited about that idea. Um, that's not at all what I think John has in mind when he writes these words. Love, um, this biblical love, is very, very practical indeed. Uh, Think back to the passage we, met, we, we, we read, right? How did God show his love for us? Did he show his love for us by thinking nice thoughts in our direction? Did he show his love to us with, with a nice warm hug? Did he sing us a song perhaps? Well, actually, Zephaniah 3.17 does say that the Lord rejoices over us with singing. So perhaps we do get a song. But here in John, we're told this is how we know what love is. Jesus died for us. That's how we know. The the example we're given of what love is is not something abstract, something emotional, something desperately concrete and practical. Not only does God give us in Jesus the fuel for how we to love one another back, He gives us the example of what it looks like to love one another back. When we think and talk about serving Christ's church, uh, we have to... Imagine and envision what this is based on Jesus' example of serving us. So this is what it means when we talk about serving Christ's church. It means laying our lives down for each other. John puts it this way in, in 1 John three eighteen. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech. I don't think he means say nasty things to each other. I think he means that's not all of it. Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. When God loves us, He acts. When we say we love one another, if we do love one another, we we act. That's how we can tell that God loves us, is that He acted. It's how we should be able to tell whether we love one another, is whether we act. But John goes one step further in his letter. This isn't just how we can tell whether we really love one another, This is how we can know we belong to the truth. This is how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. That's 319. Uh, 1 John 3.14 says the same thing. We know we've passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. That's pretty black and white, isn't it? There's not a lot of wiggle room left to us in this. So... Why does serve Christ's church belong in one of our four key marks of maturity, our four things that define what it actually is to follow Jesus? Because whether we love one another shows whether or not we love God. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. It shows whether we've actually been served by Jesus in his death. So we have to serve practically love we have to love in response but there are degrees to this thing aren't there i mean i could for example i could make you a cup of coffee and there's no question if i made you a nice cup of coffee that i would have served you i, I quite like that service actually i'm very very glad to receive it indeed but at the same time it doesn't cost us very much if i got a dead one yeah. sorry Or have we lost everything? Okay. Accidentally pulled my head off. Forgotten I'm wired through. Now I'm stuck. Hang on. Don't look. Levels of love and service, okay? At the at the shallow end, I could make you a cup of coffee. Um, doesn't cost us that much, but it's real love demonstrated to one another. But then... At the other end of the spectrum, imagine, imagine somebody walked in tonight intent on killing Christians, okay? Imagine somebody walks in with a gun, and I rush them. I get between them and you. I take the six shots they had. Unlikely, perhaps, here, but not in many places around the world. In many places around the world, this is what they face, Now, I'm not suggesting I'm that sort of hero. I'm not that sort of hero. But you can see there's a different degree of love involved. There's a different price tag on that one. So we can lay our lives down to different degrees. Why do I make that point? Because how much we love reflects our faith. The way we love and serve others is like a a barometer for us, an internal measure of where we are in our faith. 2 Thessalonians 1, 3, Paul writes to a young church. He says, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so. Listen to what he says next. Because your faith is growing more and more and the love you all have for one another is increasing. Faith is growing and the love for each other is increasing. They grow together. Growing faith is growing love. So if you want to measure where your faith is at, you can look at how it is that you love and serve others. I wonder for you, I wonder what the high watermark is of your service for others. And take just a moment now to think about that? What do you think is the most costly thing that you've done to serve somebody else? Just take a moment and try and get something in mind. Okay, maybe not the, the biggest thing ever, but something you can remember recently. What does the size of our love and service for each other say uh, about the size of our faith? Are Are we happy with that? Now, one objection you might have when you hear about serving Christ's church as one of the marks of Christian maturity, one thing that can feel a little icky and uncomfortable about that is the way it privileges us here in this room. Over the wider world outside our doors. Now, why should there be a special place for serving Christ's church, I wonder? Surely the Christian thing is to love your neighbor, isn't it? And the point is that your neighbor is everyone. You know, the Good Samaritan and all that. So, why do we say a key mark of following Jesus is whether we love and serve Christ's church? Take a minute to unpick this for you. Um, Jesus gives us some insight. Come with me to Matthew 25. That's page 995 if you're in these Bibles. Matthew 25. Page 995. I'm going to read from verse 31 in Matthew 25. And this is Jesus talking about what is it going to be like on the day he comes back? And here's what he says. He says, verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he'll sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he'll separate the people one from another as a a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll, He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left and then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father. When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Notice just how very, very practical all the things that were there the way they serve. But what I really want you to see is how the righteous, how is it that those who are being given this kingdom, how is it that they have served Christ? How did they do it? Where was it? When was it that they were serving Christ? There it is in verse 40. When they did it, for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Brothers and sisters, who does Jesus call his brothers and sisters? Those who know him, those who believe in him, those who the father has adopted into his family. They're the ones he is not ashamed to call his brothers and sisters. What Jesus is saying here is when we serve the church in very practical ways, we are in fact Serving him. Even though we don't see him, we're serving Christ himself. Even though we might not know it. Whatever we do, for the least of his brothers and sisters we have done for him. Do you, do you see that there in verse 40? That's, I think it's a little surprising, really. It's why we have a special place for serving the church. Because when we serve the church, in truth, we are serving Christ and the Bible tells us again and again when we become a Christian that we are united with Christ. We're in Christ is one of the ways it's described again and again. We're joined into We're made one with him. It speaks often of the, the, the church as the body of Christ, his very body. Romans twelve five. In Christ, though many, we form one body. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. So if you wanted to serve Christ, you don't have to wait to heaven. You don't have to go up there where he is, seated with God. We can love those who are his people here and now. Those who have been united with him because as we love and serve them, we really are in a very real and specific way, actually serving Christ. But get this, this is true, not just for the people in this room, but for every person who truly follows Christ all around the world. For every single one, for the guys on the far side of the world who are following Christ, for the guys down the street from us who are also Following Christ, as we serve any true follower of Christ, it is actually directly serving Him. So, when we talk about serving Christ's church, what we don't mean is joining a rota. We'd love you to join a rota, that'd be really helpful. But that's, that's not what we mean by serving Christ's church. We mean serving His capital C church throughout the world the one global body of all those who love and believe in him and so are actually united into him. We mean serving anyone that Jesus is not ashamed to call his brother or sister. I don't know about you, but when I think in these terms, I think it can be a little bit overwhelming, really. That's, That's kind of massive. Isn't it obvious there is so much more we could do simply to serve the people in this room in practical ways? Isn't it so much more obvious when you think about all of those who follow Christ all around the world? There is so much we could do. There are so many ways we could serve and help and love practically. If you want to serve more, if you want to think about change, I think it's actually quite hard to think about how we should change, where we should do that. There's so many needs and so many opportunities Do I need to open my eyes more to what's in the bulletin week by week? Requests for service, things needing our help? Well, oh, certainly I need to do that. This is a big and busy church. We have a lot of things going on here, a lot of things that would benefit from your service. Probably a hundred things, we would love you to volunteer for them. But that's just really the very tip of the iceberg, isn't it? We're surrounded by opportunities for service, uh, which we so often look right past Think about the ways you could have loved and served one another in this room even tonight. Aren't there a hundred ways you could have done that right here, right now? Then expand that to think about the ways you could have served any of those who follow Christ anywhere in the world in this last week. And it's pretty overwhelming. Too many needs, too many options. It's like trying to choose jam in Tesco's. Try to choose jam in Tesco's. It's like 130 kinds of jam. Do you want more fruit? Do you want no sugar? Do you want extra lumpy? Do you want extra jelly? Do you want extra cheap? Do you want extra expensive? Extra sweet? Extra, I don't know what I want. And so, so often we walk out with no jam. There's actually genuine psychological research showing this case. We can get overwhelmed by a set of options and actually reduces our ability to pick one and commit to it. I want us to turn to another passage. I know it's a lot of Bible, but that's good. Uh, Another passage. um, To help us not walk away without engaging anywhere. Come with me to Romans chapter 12. That's page 1139. Romans chapter 12. 1139. I think this is a passage that even as it calls us to serve... It helps us narrow down this sometimes overwhelming universe of opportunities. So Romans 12, starting at verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is his good pleasing and perfect will for by the grace given me I say to every one of you do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you for Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many, we form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts. According to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. I could go on. Um, Did you notice there the passage starts from exactly the same place we've been talking about in verse 1? In view of God's mercy, all of this is a response. All of this is a response to being served by God. And notice it's also service particularly to one another inside the body of Christ. Inside this global church. Verse 4, we are one body and every member belongs to all the others. Verse 10, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. So this is specifically a call to serve Christ's church because it's Christ's body, and it's a call born out of Christ serving us. But what about this problem of too many options? What about this problem of too many different ways in which we could serve? I think the great help that this passage has for us is that it tells you and me to serve with the particular gifts we've been given. To get to work as the particular person God has made you to be. It doesn't say, hello, fungible church member, able to do anything and everything. Please plug in in an arbitrary place and take on whatever role you see fit. It says, God has made you somebody. He has gifted you in a particular way, and that is how he intends you to serve his church. We don't have the same function. We don't have the same role, but we do together form this one body. Now, there are some specific gifts listed out here, and uh, serving, teaching, leading, the things like that. It isn't exhaustive. You shouldn't be reading this like one of those multiple choice tests. You know how it works? You're like um, teaching. That's not me. Okay, okay. Giving, that one's not me. That narrows it down. I've got to be one of these last two options. So what's it going to be? You know, am I an encourager? It's not an exhaustive list. We're not expected just to tick one of these boxes. I can tell you that because when we see gifts listed elsewhere in the New Testament, like we do in Ephesians 4 or in 1 Corinthians 12, you just get a different set of examples. Read the Old Testament and you'll get some more. Uh, Exodus 31, we read about artistic gifts being given to people for the good of the church, uh, used to craft the tabernacle. The point of this passage is not to tell us it's one of these things on this list. It's to tell us that each one of us does have gifts we've been given. 1 Peter 4.10, each of us should use whatever gift we have been given to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. The body needs my gifts it's quite encouraging. It's quite uplifting, isn't it? The body actually needs me. Well, do you know what? The body needs each one of you. None of you is redundant. None of you is an unnecessary extra. None of you has no part to play. Did you notice there was, there was no kind of, um, we're all one body, and although we're made of many parts, some of them really don't matter, and we don't need them at all. They're dispensed. There's none of that talk. Every person is significant. Now verse three uh, in Romans told us not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. I think here in Scotland that's not a particularly big issue for us. Perhaps other places, other cultures. uh, I think we're much more likely to think of ourselves more lowly than we ought, don't you think? I'm not really that good at this. Oh, anyone could do that. Particularly perhaps if you're a younger person here tonight. Maybe you feel like your gifts are not the sort of gifts that would be significant or meaningful. Maybe you're not sure of anything particular that you could do. Maybe you're the mature end of the spectrum tonight and you're thinking, well, I don't have a lot to contribute anymore. I don't think we have much room for that either here. The passage warns us we've got to regard ourselves with sober judgment. Not thinking of ourselves too high, absolutely. But not thinking of ourselves too low either. The danger in underplaying our gifts, in underplaying your gifts, is that you ultimately do not put them to use. And to use Jesus' picture from the parable of the talents in, in Matthew 25, no matter how small what you've been given is, or how small you think it is, how significant you think it is, the master still expects you to put it to use, not just to sit on it. Why? Well, Ephesians 2.10 tells us we are God's handiwork created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Specific good works prepared for you. There are no insignificant members. There are no non-contributors. There is no one who has nothing that they are to do or contribute to the body. Are you feeling convicted perhaps though that you could be doing more to serve Christ's church? Good. That is the plan. Um, I'm hoping to help you think more carefully about how you can serve Christ's church. Don't just hear this as go get busy doing whatever. Whatever. Uh, It's not just a case of what rotas have gaps. Not just trying to fill ministry holes in the church with whichever warm body is closest. What we do want to do is put the gifts each one of you has to work. So what are the gifts you've been given, I wonder? And how could you begin to put them to work? I'm going to give you some time to reflect on that. And some other questions privately in a minute. But to give you one practical place to start on this if you're stuck, can I recommend the network course that we have been running here as a church a few times over the last months? It's designed to help people reflect on the gifts they've been given. And to think hard about how to specifically put those gifts to work. Donald and Libby Cameron have been running it periodically. They're here tonight and they'd be really happy for you to sign up. Their next one I think is February. Next planned course is February, which might seem like a long time, but get it in your diary now. Uh, a little later in the service, we're going to have somebody come and tell us about their experience with the course, just to make you feel less nervous, give you some more insight. Um, one last point for you on this. Do you feel like you are already serving hard? Do you feel like serving Christ Church is wearing you down and wearing you out? If so, can I encourage you to reflect on whether you are actually serving with the gifts that you have been given. Or whether you just put your hand up one time a long time ago. Ended up on a list somewhere. And now you feel like you're stuck forever. If that's you. I want to encourage you to consider stepping back. If you feel like you're doing something. That does not suit the gifts you've been given. You should step back. Here is why. Because somebody else has been given the gifts to do that. You've taken their spot. But they have good works prepared there to do in advance. So if you're serving somewhere that doesn't fit you, think about whether you should step back. The church will not collapse. You'll discover, um, unfortunately, or perhaps fortunately, that none of us are as indispensable as we think we are. Okay, lots of things. Why do we serve? We serve in response to Christ serving us. How do we serve? Well, we follow his example. It's very practical service. It's love in action. Service flows out of growing faith. Our service grows as our faith grows. Service is particularly to the church because when we serve the church, we serve Christ. We serve the global, capital C church, not just the people in this room. And we're all differently gifted. That should guide us and help us as we think about how it is particularly that each one of us is called to serve. let me bring this into land as we come to a close, two results which flow out of serving christ's church. First, serving the church brings glory to God. Think back to where we started this passage in one John, we read 1 John 4:12. it said, it spells out why you should serve. Serve it says, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. You find the same endpoint in 1 Peter 4.11. talks about using our different gifts. If anyone speaks, it says they should do it as one who speaks the words of God. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength God provides. Why should we be using these gifts God has given us? So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. When you use the gifts that you've particularly been given by God, God gets the glory and praise. Second, building on this, serving Christ's church reveals Christ to the watching world around us. Back to 1 John again. We read this, 1 John 4, 12. It's exactly what it means. He says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. His love is made complete in us. There's a sense in which Christ is made manifest, present, visible, tangible when we love one another. I think that's what Jesus means when he says in John 13, 35, by this will everyone know that you're my disciples if you love one another. When we serve Christ's church, with the gifts he's given, we bring glory to God and we reveal him to a watching world. So that's why serving Christ's church is one of the crucial marks of what it means to be a mature follower of Jesus. I'm going to pray, and then uh, hopefully most of you ended up with a sheet. I'm going to give you just a few minutes to work through some questions on that sheet, just to help you think about this. Let's pray first, though. Father God,